You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to the Brandy Show. Hi, everybody. I'm Jim Brandstatter, and this is my podcast. We'll get together every week to talk about football, primarily the University of Michigan Wolverines and the Big Ten Conference, with occasional forays into the national picture. We'll also keep up with the Detroit Lions and the NFL. Along the way, we'll have some surprises. We'll certainly have some fun guests and take a tangent or two that has nothing to do with football, like old movies or cooking. Who knows what? Sit back and relax and enjoy The Brandy Show. Welcome, everybody, to The Brandy Show. Uh, we're on episode 14 now. Nobody thought we'd get to episode two, but we got to episode 14. And this week, well, we're going to talk about the bad weekend for the Detroit Lions and the fallout has not been pretty. We'll talk with Detroit News columnist Bob Wanowski, who was pretty tough on the Lions in a column this week. That's coming up in moments. I'll also take a look at the changing landscape in the week-to-week world around the NFL. We'll visit with Sarah Murray and learn how we can fight cancer and honor the memory of former U of M great Veda Murray. I'll recap Michigan's win over Rutgers and look ahead to Indiana. We'll have an Indiana trivia too deep. That's right. An Indiana trivia too deep, the 2015 Hoosier offense. And what's that legend about the Block M at the Diag on Michigan Central Campus? We'll find out in facts, legends, and lore. Stay with us if you want to know about that legend, the Block M, called the Diag on Central Campus at Michigan. And our recipe this week, it's a good one. You can take it to the tailgate if you wish. And it's Dan Deardorff's favorite. (laughs) Corn pudding. That's coming up, so stay with us for that recipe. Let's go to the NFL and the Detroit Lions. Well, the Bears this past weekend beat the Lions 34-22. Another double-digit loss for the Lions. Stafford was sacked six times. Now, Matthew's gone down 16 times sacks in the last two games. 11 of 25 completions to wide receivers. 11 completions of 25 completions to wide receivers. That's the week after they traded Golden Tate. And they only had 78 yards rushing. Uh, Blunt, LeGarrette, carries six times for four yards. That's not a recipe for victory. And now we are joined by Bob Wanowski of the Detroit News. Whoa, Joe, it is great to have you on the show. Brandy, it is great to be here, and you had me at Deardorff's Corn Pudding. (laughs) Perfect. You know, corn pudding... This recipe is really good. And I, I did a couple of recipes a while ago, my turkey chili, and everybody seemed to like it. So I'm going to throw some corn pudding at people today, and I will send you a recipe if you wish. Oh, that would be awesome. All right. Hey, you were tough on the Lions uh, this past week in your column. I thought really well thought out uh, and backed up by facts. Uh, tell us why you're putting the blame of what's going on this season for the Lions at 3-6 and six at the feet of Matt, Patricia, and Bob Quinn. Well, I, I've sort of felt like, listen, the Matt, Matthew Stafford uh, field has been well plowed, uh, to quote Jim Harbaugh, um, again and again, and he definitely has struggled this season, and he has deserved criticism. But as I watched that game, um, it, it, it seemed to me, and it's not that we've ignored Quinn and Patricia, they've deserved and gotten some criticism, but that game really smacked me in the face of a team that was ill-prepared, uh, didn't adjust. Um, Matt Patricia made some peculiar timeout and challenge calls. And you might cut 
the first-year head coach some slack because he's a first-year head coach. But we're year three in the Bob Quinn regime, and we're not cutting him nearly as much slack anymore. He has already, uh, Brandy, we've talked about this, he's already remade this roster. I went back, and I actually did a little math, and there are only 12 players left on the roster from when Quinn took over. So you can say, oh, give him time to put. Well, these are a lot of his guys. And they're not figuring out a way to make Stafford more effective either. And you mentioned the wide receivers. They're looking at, like, the pro football focus tabulations. Yeah. The Lions' wide receivers are not getting open. Like, they're in the lower uh, 10 percentile of separation from defensive backs. So, to me, it's a, especially on offense, it's a uh, unmitigated disaster right now. And... Go ahead. We can we can blame Stafford, and we do. But it, it is time to look at what Patricia is doing and Quinn is doing. Well, I think the thing that you talked about time management. I think for Matt Patricia, anyway, earlier this season there have been a couple of opportunities for I think during halftime for the Lions to use timeouts to try to get the ball back, where they've let the clock run out, and yep. I've thought that was some questionable use of the clock too. So it's not. The first time we've had these issues in regards to time management from the bench, right? No, no, not at all. The time management being one issue. And there's this, and what we once praised, we now question. We praised the Patriot way, and here they come with Quinn and Patricia, and okay, that's fine, but with the Patriot way comes an arrogance that they know what they're doing, and they're doing it their way, and they're going to keep doing it. And, and now I think we, we do have to question that. He is stubborn in some of those uh, time management situations. And they've, they've started the first quarters this season. They've been outscored 72-13. to 13. Holy cow. Isn't the first quarter in an NFL game where a game plan is first revealed and sometimes coaches script out plays and that's when your offense theoretically is its most effective? And it's been... It's been absolutely awful. And, you know, Patricia was supposed to be the guy who could cobble together a defense. Defensive genius, guru, with no matter what he has had. And that is slowly, in my mind, steadily falling apart as Russell Wilson and then Mitch Trubisky set, like, near records for yardage and, and you know, passer rating. And that's, that's where you really have to start scrutinizing Patricia is – I thought he was going to work wonders with this defense. Yeah, you talk about that, and I I agree with you. The defense is uh, hurting a little bit. I, I again, I don't think personnel is is great with Darius Slay out of there. I think Correct. you've got you've got issues at at cornerback in regards to covering. Uh, but but I think too the the thing that I, I I don't understand a little bit is that there is no pressure. They got pressure in early games, and since then, they haven't been able to mount any pressure up front. And I think if you don't bring pressure, you've got to somehow create it with linebackers, and they haven't done that much. And that's kind of one of those things where I wonder where the mental part of the game plan is from a coaching perspective on how to adjust to uh, things you're weak at and create a strength out of weakness, which is what great coaches do. Right, and I think it goes back to that whole Patriot way, I'll call it arrogance. 
Uh, Patricia famously at New England, his defenses gave up yardage. Ben, but don't break. They were always, you know, way down in the bottom and yardage given up, but way up at the top at points given up. And that's fine when you have a good team and better players. It, it is not the same. I, I, I mean, the lack of aggressiveness, as you say, the lack of blitzing, the lack of any kind of pressure. Mitch Trubisky could go back there and order a Chicago deep dish pizza <laughs> while he was scanning the field. And, and again, that's adjustment. Maybe, maybe Patricia got a little bit fooled by that 3-3 three and three start and, oh, he did have great game plans to beat New England and Green Bay, even though those teams were a little beat up. Um, but against the, the, the last three weeks, I've seen no adjustments. And Brandy, you've been around for a, a long time. It is very hard in the NFL to lose three straight games by double digits. Every game is like a one-possession game. And the Lions are basically getting blown out, trailing by three touchdowns in the fourth quarter every week now. And that's the worst part of trying to play a football game is playing from behind and you're battling uphill all day long and you don't have any margin for error. We saw that during the 0-16 season when the Lions got behind and they were playing from below and they were climbing uphill and every time they got close, if you threw an interception, if you got a holding call, that stalled a drive, every possession becomes really vital, and that's what happens when you get behind like the Lions have, and I just don't think they've got the personnel right now offensively to come back and make that climb uphill. The other question is, is the bloom off the rose from Jim Bob Cooter, the offensive uh, coordinator? I mean, I just don't know whether it's the fact that Stafford's getting sacked all the time. I don't blame Matthew Stafford. I think he's an elite quarterback, and I may be in the only uh, the only guy out there that thinks that, but I really like what what he is and what he can do, but I, I just don't think he has much help, and I don't know how much help lately, and Cooter's done it before, but this year it seems that they're not getting anything done, and their strategy offensively has not really come to fore until they're down 26 nothing. Well, no, you're right. I, I do think you're in the growing uh, or the shrinking minority of Stafford as an elite quarterback, but I get what you're saying because the Jim Bob Cooter thing completely baffles me as, as well. And just sticking with the same safe system, and and here's where it goes back to Quinn too. Even though everybody loved getting a third round pick for Golden Tate because he was going to leave after this year anyhow, there is a payment for that, and that payment is since Tate has been gone, Stafford has been sacked 16 times in two games. The safety valve, the the guy that got open when things broke down, he is gone. That's a huge part of it, but. Jim Bob Cooter, I mean, let's be frank, I think he's next up as far as job scrutiny. He's a holdover from the previous regime, um, and they don't look like they do anything differently or anything creatively, and um, I think that's for sure. And I'm not going to say St- um, Stafford handpicked Cooter. He did, he did want him to stay, um, and, and I understand that, but... I think they, for sure, that's going to be at least one change that will have to happen in the offseason. Yeah, and again, you mentioned since they traded Tate, and this is a Bob Quinn question, I guess. Um, 11 of 25 completions against Chicago are to wide receivers. That's less than half. 
Everything yep. else goes to a running back or a tight end. To me, that's not enough for what I would call down-the-field playmakers. And Tate was that guy. When they traded Tate, there were a lot of people out there, me included, who thought, May, wait a minute, are they giving up on the, this season? Are they kind of saying, ah, this, this is over, we're not going anywhere? Because he was their, I think, besides Stafford, their most offensive, uh, most valuable offensive weapon. Oh, for sure. And that uh, the same thought entered my mind. And, you know, I, I must admit I was conflicted because, hey, what are they doing? Uh, he, you know, they had three good receivers and he was a perfect compliment. But then, boy, a third-round pick. Maybe finally a Lions front office that's a little bit forward-thinking and not letting <laughs> somebody just walk away. But it, it, the two thoughts conflict. Yes. Like, if you're then, then why do you why do you give Ziggy Ansa the franchise tag and he can he barely play well, and why and, exactly and why do you pay or make the trade the uh, week earlier for Snacks Harrison when you want okay we're going to get the defensive line shored up we're making a run then all of a sudden you trade Tate and my point about uh, the third round draft pick is all due respect I love it but how many first downs is that third round draft pick going to get for you this year probably no, I know, not many. I know. It, and they'll never, ever, 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 ever say it. But in the back of Quinn's mind, and this is, again, what happens when you've been given power and you have, you know, the Patriot backing behind you. I think Quinn thinks he's got total security. Um, he's got time. He, there's no urgency. Even though he said 9-7 and seven wasn't good enough last year, they're acting like a regime that's like, all right, we're going to build this our way, however long it takes. That's what we're going to do. And I find that a little bit disconcerting because they weren't great last year, but they were 9-7. and seven. And it's not that much of a leap to go from 9-7 and seven supposedly to a playoff team, and they're not going to make that leap now. I think you just said something that was, uh, and I know this is going to come as a surprise to you, but really important in the sense Ooh. that, yeah, uh, at the beginning of the year, with a 9-7 and seven team, and most people had the expectation this team was going to be better, did you think that in the front office, in Matt Patricia's office, and in Bob Quinn's office, they knew that wasn't going to happen? That they kind of said, okay, you guys think what you want, we're going to think something else, and they never let anybody out there know about it? Randy, I think you are 1,000% correct. Because people say, wait, 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 wait. Bob Quinn said when they fired Jim Caldwell, he was asked specifically, do you think this team's talent is better than 9-7? and seven? And he paused, like, well, if I don't say that, then why am I firing Caldwell? So, of course, he says, yes, I do. I think it's better than 9-7. and seven. I, I think he's fibbing there. I think he was saying something just for public consumption, but I agree with you. Behind the scenes, when Patricia came in and looked, he goes, whoa, where are our defensive players uh, where's the, uh, the offensive line? Where's all? The, and yeah, they can't admit it or they wouldn't admit it publicly because nobody wants to hear rebuild when you're coming off nine and seven. But I absolutely believe once they started looking and breaking down what they had and, and realizing that Ziggy didn't really have much of anything left, even though they gave him the money, I think they yet yeah, privately. Yeah. They realize they're in a bit of a rebuild. So here's the uh, ugly question, and, and the three letters that uh, no Detroit Lion fan or anyone who has been around the long-suffering Lions <laughs> want to hear. Uh, are we looking at the uh, SOL, same old Lions? 
You know what it is? <clears throat> I think it's N-O-L. It's the <laughs> new old Lions. No, like, I like that. How is that now? Explain that one to me. Well, because there are old Lions tendencies, certainly, but they are doing it in a new way. Um, with with this new regime and the the way they're going about it. Can I um, interrupt? I you, can I interrupt you real quickly? Sure. But it's got the same old results. No, exactly. Well, yeah, that's where the old lions re- remains. But <laughs> but this was the first regime, the first regime in our lifetime where they went completely outside, completely outside. Not Millen, not Mayhew, not Chuck Schmidt, not Russ Tuck. Completely outside from a winning organization to get people, and yet the results are the same. So that's why I call it new old Lions, new regime, new thinking, but the results haven't changed. Now, is it a culture thing that is so hard to change? There's some evidence of that where players maybe have resisted some of Patricia's demanding ways. It might be too early to say if they've turned on him um, and, and you know what, Brandy, we may be overanalyzing it. It might be as simple as like what you said. Come on, be honest, step back. They're just not that talented. Maybe they shouldn't be any better than three and six. There, there is that possibility. Yeah, and that's the thing I think is disconcerting for everybody to kind of come to that realization. Is there any, I mean, I guess at this point, is there any thought or any real constructive uh, uh, analysis about looking ahead? Because, I mean, the Lions' next three are at home, Carolina, Chicago, and the Rams. Mm -hmm. And then three of their last four are on the road. The only home game in the last four is against Minnesota. So, I mean, when you look ahead, this three and six isn't going to turn into a five, six-game win streak, is it? No, I doubt it. Although, um, you know, you're right. The three games are at home, although the Rams and Carolina and Chicago and Thanksgiving, I would think they'd have a shot in that. But... uh, I guess they can hold their, hang their hat on when Green Bay and New England came to town. Look what we did. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. for some reason, I don't, I, I don't feel that well for some reason, being the way we've seen them play the last three weeks. Um, but it's, is, is Stafford going to, um, you know, suddenly just get hot? Well, is he going to survive? Is he going to survive? Are they going to cut Kerryon Johnson loose, or is it impossible to cut him loose because – uh, defenses are geared up to stop the run. Um, listen, I'm not being, uh, I'm generally a more optimistic than pessimistic person, but if they win one of the next three games at home, I think that would be not satisfactory, but about what I would expect. So if the next three at home, they go one and two, they're four and eight. That, and then it's over. <laughs> I think it's not over already. <laughs> I was yeah, going to say, mean, at three and six, it's not actually on, is it? No, no, it's not actually on. As a matter of fact, you could very much argue it's over already. I'll be interested, Brandy, to see how they come out Sunday against the Panthers. Like, I know the word quit gets thrown around, and it doesn't happen, I don't think, in, as often in professional sports as people think it happens, because these are prideful guys who have careers and stuff. But if Patricia's message and scheme is not getting through. I'll be interested to see if there's a lessening of effort. Not quitting per se, but a lessening of effort. And that would be really disappointing. That would be very disappointing, and I doubt that's going to happen. I I know a lot of these guys, and they're they're pros, and they're going to play. Here's here's my last question, and 
is because it is what it is. This may be the most interesting last half of a season I can remember in Detroit because of what you said, the new regime and the fact that it's going to be a rocky ride. I mean, yep. they're already uh, on on the rocks in regards to the surf, and and it could get worse as you go forward. And you know how tough this town can be from a media standpoint. And already, you know, there's a little contention between Patricia and some of the writers on his Monday press conferences. Right. Um, Quinn has not really had any public comments since uh, the draft. So is this maybe a, from an outside observer, from your standpoint and my standpoint, we're guys in the media looking in. Is this maybe one of the most interesting last halves of the season to see how they react, how the new regime reacts to this what could be a very rocky finish. Oh, 100%. And I'm specifically looking at, at two people, Patricia and Stafford. I want to see how Patricia reacts to if, in fact, criticism continues to mount. He, he sort of doesn't say much of anything. He had that one brief little bizarre uh, tiff at, at a press conference. And, and Stafford, listen, Stafford takes a lot of criticism, and I agree with you. Some of it is overblown. Some of it, you got. You have to pick on the quarterback. That's what you do in the NFL. I'll be interested to see how he reacts to this because um, this marriage, this isn't like okay. We get, Patricia and Stafford are going to be here for a little while together. I assume. I don't think either one is going anywhere after just one year with Patricia here. That's going to be fascinating in my mind to see if they begin to find common ground, if that offense begins to mesh. Because I'm not expecting the defense to be great all of a sudden. I mean, I think the defense is just lacking ability. The offense should be doing more than it is. So that's that's what I'm most interested yeah. in watching. Well, it'll be an interesting finish to the season. Mojo, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. It's a delight talking with you. You're fun. We may have you back. Well, you know what would be fun if we had you and Angelique on at the same time? No! Yeah, no, no, no. Imagine, no, I could just sit back and listen to you two argue for about a half an hour and say, thanks, folks. See you next week on the next Brandy yeah. show. I'm done. That would be, that would be fun. It would probably be the end of your podcast. That's as true. You know it, though. That's true. They'd fire me right away. Anyway, Woj, thanks for being with us. We will read you in the Detroit News, uh, debtnews.com. And of course, when the paper comes out, we'll read you. You're one of the best in the business. Thanks, Woj. Oh, Brandy, you're very nice. Thank you. All right, that's Bob Winowski from the uh, Detroit News talking about the Detroit Lions and uh, the difficulties they've had after the loss to Chicago. Real quickly, let's go over the NFL, give you my thoughts. This past weekend, the Steelers beat the Panthers 52-21. to Ouch. Now, the Steelers putting 52 up is kind of changing my mind a little bit. They're making a case to join KC and New England as players for the AFC Championship. Pittsburgh's getting better. Um, the Panthers aren't a bad team, and they just got spanked. Um, the other thing about the AFC and the NFC is the Saints, clearly, along with the Rams, are just pounding it out, having a great year. The Saints beat the Bengals 51-14. to uh, Terrell Austin, who used to be the defensive coordinator here in Detroit, was the defensive coordinator at Cincinnati. And after that game, he got fired. The Bengals at five and four. So Myron Lewis is going to take over the defense down in Cincinnati. In the meantime, Drew Brees and the Saints just keep on rolling. And the Rams beat the Seahawks 36 uh, 31. Both the Rams and Saints have only lost one game apiece. And I think they're headed toward a 
National Football Conference championship game. The other team that was disappointing to me was the Falcons. I think they're out of it now. The Browns beat them 28 to 16. And in my opinion, the Browns at three and six beating a team that was four and four when the Falcons making a move could have gone five and four. Uh, I think the Falcons basically are out of it. And you know who's interesting out there? The LA Chargers. I mean, Phillip Rivers just keeps doing it out there. He defeats Oakland last week, 20 to six. They're seven and two on the year. They trail KC by a game and a half though. And that's a little tough. And in the NFC East, I don't think anybody's really any good, but the Redskins are coming out of that division. I think they defeated the Buccaneers 16 to three. They're six and three now. And because the rest of that division is having troubles, the Redskins lead that division uh, just past the halfway point by two games. And this week, the best game, I think, of the season is on the docket. The Los Angeles Rams against the Kansas City Chiefs. It's going to be in Mexico City. It's one of the international games that the NFL is putting together. L.A. Rams, KC Chiefs in Mexico City. And that could be a preview, folks, of the Super Bowl. So that's uh, my take on the NFL this week. Real quickly, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back with you and talk to Veda. We'll talk about Veda Murray's endowed fund to help fight cancer uh, with Veda's widow, uh, Sarah. So stay with us. That'll be an interesting conversation. Uh, that's coming up next on The Brandy Show. The Brandy Show is a Zing Media Group production. Zing Media Group, tell your story. Welcome back to The Brandy Show. A great opportunity now to talk about cancer research and a great Michigan player from the past, Veda Murray, who uh, many of you remember, Michigan fans, played safety for uh, the University of Michigan, was a great safety with Trip Wellborn back there, uh, one of Bo's teams. And uh, Veda went on to be a Ann Arbor police officer and died too young of cancer. And uh, right now his wife, Sarah, is putting together a fund a cancer research fund, an endowed fund, so that Veda's memory lives on in the way he would want it to be living on, and that is as a fighter, as something to do something positive for other people, and that is fight cancer. Sarah uh, Murray joins us now on The Brandy Show. Sarah, it's good to have you with us. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate you having me. And the idea to let Veda's memory live on came to you because of this cancer and the fact that Veda fought it so hard during his life. And he was the guy that I know I read about this, that right up to the end, he was saying, they're going to find something and we're going to get this taken care of. So that's kind of where you're going with this endowed fund, aren't you? That's exactly right, Jim. And I think one of Veda's oncologists put it best. And he really said, you know, this is a guy who is just trained to win, period. Um, and I, that's got so many parallels to his life as a, you know, a former player at Michigan and as a police officer. He was just his mindset all the time. So he really felt like he was going to beat this and had a lot of faith in cancer research and science. And um, unfortunately, that didn't happen for him. Um, but I felt really compelled after he passed away to turn back to the community and, and all the goodwill that people offered us and really, you know, find a way to channel that goodwill and say, like, let's put it in this fund where all the money goes to researcher, cancer researchers at the University of Michigan, and let's keep fighting on behalf of Veda and, and everyone else who's fighting any type of cancer. Couldn't think of a better way to honor his memory in this regard. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Veda. Veda played safety for Michigan, and then he became an Ann Arbor police officer. He could have gone on and moved to the NFL. He, 
why did he do that? I mean, you were you were close to him. You knew about Veda. Uh, it was his commitment to his fellow man, wasn't it? You know what it was, and he actually did get a phone call from the Seahawks and uh, you know the Seattle Seahawks at the time, and he declined to be drafted. And he, um, I mean, he just was really ready to. He felt like his body. He didn't know if his body could take the field anymore, but he was really ready to move on to the next chapter in his life, which for him really was about, he was so excited to serve his community. And Ann Arbor, you know, happened to be his community and one that he um, loved. And why why police? There are a lot of so many careers that he could have done. He was a bright, intelligent <laughs> guy. Why police officer? I think he was smart enough to know that he was just fast as lightning, right? I mean, Jim, you watched him play. He was just lightning fast on the field with his long legs. Yep. But, uh, you know, that aside, I mean, I think it was just his calling. I mean, he never questioned. He always kind of knew it's what he wanted to do. He really felt like it was the only job for him. I mean, he was just lucky enough to be one of those people that knew it. Well, the other thing about Veda that I thought was ex- exceptional is he had great instincts as a yeah. football player. And I think the instincts that he had uh, as a police officer would have been just outstanding and uh, been one of those things that put him over the top in that profession. You know, one of his training sergeants uh, that, you know, rode with him kind of the first three to six months on the job, I really actually spoke about that in a Facebook post. And, you know, like street smarts are something that, you know, it's just kind of the instinct piece of it that's really, really difficult to teach. And, you know, Veda had that. It's like it's like watching kids play Sports and younger kids, and you can see that some of these kids just have, you know, this certain level that you notice that of court IQ and instinct that kind of separates them from other kids. And, and that's just something that I think Veda possessed based on um, him growing up in Cincinnati, based on him playing football and being in the Michigan program underneath Bo that really, really served him well when he made that step to the police department after college. And Sarah, you got three kids that are just gorgeous kids, and they've grown up, and they're pretty good athletes too. Veda would be proud, huh? Veda would be be so proud, actually. And uh, Veda's oldest, Derek, his son, uh, is going to be 20 this month, and he is in his sophomore year playing basketball at Aquinas in Grand Rapids. Um, Veda and my oldest our daughter, Kendall, committed to Michigan last summer for volleyball. And then our youngest, probably out of the three kids, the one that's just the most like Veda, um, hopefully is an up-and-coming volleyball player as well. So she's in eighth grade. So the uh, kids are great, Jim. They're great athletes, and uh, they've got great genes. I'll tell you that with you and Veda. Um <laughs> And you've got this event coming up at the Pretzel Bell in Ann Arbor on Ohio State Saturday to really help raise funds for cancer research. Tell us about it. So we're asking people to come out to the Pretzel Bell the morning of the 24th. The doors open at 10 o'clock. And basically, we just want the community to gather to watch what's set up to be an incredible game. And more importantly, to raise money for uh, the Veda Murray Fund for Cancer Research. Um, so we are asking people to pre-register, Jim, uh, online. There's no cost to get in. There is a suggested donation amount per person online, at, and you can find that at vetamurray.com. We want to know who's coming because we do expect to be uh, at capacity at the Pretzel Bell. Uh, this is a family event. We hope that people will bring their children. There will be a silent auction. There will be T-shirts for sale, 
game squares, a cash bar, some fun activities for kids. We really want to bring uh, the community together to watch this game, all for a really good cause. And the cause is the Veda Murray Fund for Cancer Research, and it's at the Pretzel Bell in Ann Arbor. What's the address there? It's on the corner of what and what in Ann Arbor? The, it's on the corner of Main and Liberty. And it starts at it's 10 a.m. It's 226, I'm oh, sorry, 226 ahead. Main Street. 226 Main Street? Doors open at 10 a.m. Of course, the game starts at noon. And you want to pre-register, again, that website is vedamurray.com? Correct. All right. And what kind of, you mean, other than the silent auction, what kind of items you got on the silent auction? Oh, man, there's going to be some really cool Michigan memorabilia. It'll be kind of a, a sports lover's dream come true. Um, some local businesses have donated, but really the Michigan memorabilia, uh, maybe even a couple collector's items is going to be fantastic. Um, and, you know, Jim, every single dollar that we raise, every single dollar goes into Veda's fund, which is through uh, the University of Michigan Rogel Cancer Center. And so many people in the community have so generously donated to Veda's fund before that I just want to make sure I mention, you know, there's been so much success uh, with the money that's been put in his fund. The researchers, researchers have recently uh, used it to on a study for something called CTCs, which is circulating tumor cells. And without getting too technical, Jim, there are rare cells that are shed from a, a primary tumor into the bloodstream of a cancer patient that are en route to create more cancer, more metastases in the body. And the researchers have used the money from Veda's fund to kind of guide and find patient cells, isolate them, grow them in a Petri dish, and then guide treatment decisions for patients that'll give them the best treatment response. So I'm really proud of what's been done so far. I'm really, really grateful to this community and everyone that's so generously given. And we're going to ask people to come on out and give again and have some fun on the 24th. And the key to that whole thing is there are results. It's not just a donation, but you've got tangible results that you can tell people about that this is working and your money isn't just going to that ethereal spot in the sky that says research. It's actually working, (laughs) right? That's so true. And, you know, there's no overhead. This is this is an endowed fund that sits at the university. There's no employees or overhead or, or anything to pay out of this fund. Every single dollar goes to the cancer researchers. And I recently met with one of Veda's oncologists. I actually hadn't met with him since Veda passed away. And I was so encouraged to hear. I mean, I, one question I had for him was, if someone is diagnosed today, the same kind of cancer that Veda had, you know, are the odds any better? Because when Veda was diagnosed, Jim, his chance of being alive in two years was less than 5%. And his chance of being alive in five years was less than one. And today, I mean, the answer that I got from his oncologist, um, you know, it made me cry for a number of reasons, but the odds are so much better because the treatments and something called immunotherapy that's relatively new are uh, have progressed so much because of people like Veda who participated in clinical trials, the odds are better. And, you know, frankly, that's what we want. We want more people surviving longer with uh, better treatment outcomes and better quality of life. So I am really proud of the fund and the money that's been raised and what's been done so far. And frankly, Jim, we just want to keep it going. 
Well, Sarah, I'll tell you what, you should be proud of the work you're doing and uh, you're extending Veda's memory out there with this great fun and you're helping people down the road. And the fact that it's working and this research is getting it done and extending people's lives basically because Veda was a guy that was proactive about he wants to see this done and you're carrying that on. I just think you're one of the greatest human beings on the planet. And I can't thank you enough for doing this for your husband and for his memory. And we hope everybody, I urge everyone to get to the pretzel bell on Saturday, Ohio state Saturday at 10 AM and um, give a good quality donation because the money's working. People are living longer because of your donation and the Veda Murray Fund for Cancer Research. So I hope you get a big crowd out there, Sarah. I would be there myself and I would donate, but I'm going to be busy down at the Horseshoe in Columbus (laughs) broadcasting that football game. Well, you've got a job to do, Jim, and you do such a good job of it. We will be thinking about you. And again, just one more time, please go to VedaMurray.com. More information about pre-registration and the event itself. Sarah, you're the best. Thank you so much, and we hope it's Thanks, a huge Jim. success. You bet. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. That's Sarah Murray uh, and the Beta Murray Cancer Research Fund. Make sure you get out to the. Uh, make sure you get out to the uh, Pretzel Bell on Ohio State Saturday at 10 a.m. and donate and be involved in that. And even if you don't get there, uh, go to the VaderMurray.com website and see if there's a donation button there and donate to this fund. It's working. They are finding ways to extend people's lives who have this kind of cancer. And it all is in Veda Murray's memory. So we're glad Sarah could join us today. Uh, right now, let's talk Michigan football. The Wolverines beat Rutgers 42-7 this weekend. Uh, boy, Shea Patterson is just playing some great football. He had three passes for touchdowns this past week. Two to Nico Collins and one to Oliver Martin. And the one to Oliver Martin was a thing of beauty where he ran around in the pocket. He kind of dodged uh, Rutgers in the pass rush here and there, rolled out to his right and found Oliver Martin with an absolutely perfect throw on the run in the corner of the end zone. Um, he's just playing great football. Um, he was 18 of 27 for 260 yards and three touchdowns. Michigan's turnover margin is now plus seven uh, on the season uh, over their opponents. And uh, Indiana, by the way, who they play next is plus six. Uh, Michigan's plus seven turnover margin leads the conference. That's one of the keys to their defense being so well. Their defense gave up 193 yards rushing, a little more than we thought, but 80 of it came on one play, so 113 yards the rest of the game. And they only gave up 59 yards passing. They're the number one pass defense in the country, and giving up just 59 yards to Rutgers was huge. So this Michigan team is playing well as the season goes along. They've got Indiana next, and I urge all of you, warn all of you, don't think about Ohio State until you take care of Indiana, okay? I mean... I think one of the important things about the 97 National Championship team at Michigan was that Lloyd Carr got his team to buy into the fact that he had one game at a time. Take one step at a time. Don't look ahead. Don't get ahead of yourself. And and Michigan has their future in front of them. Their destiny is in their own hands. They beat Indiana. They beat Ohio State. Then they go to the Big Ten Championship game. They very well could be in the Final Four National Playoff. But nothing happens like that unless you beat Indiana. So, Focus on what you can change in the beginning, and that's Indiana. Don't get ahead of yourself. Jim Harbaugh is harping on that, I know, with these players. And these players have bought into it. This team knows that you know there are goals they want to reach, but those goals don't happen unless you win week to week. 
Uh, Indiana's five and five overall. They're two and five in the conference. Uh, they beat Maryland last week, 34-32. Now, Indiana can score. Their offense can, can move the football. Mike DeBoard, former University of Michigan offensive coordinator, is the offensive coordinator at Indiana now. Peyton Ramsey is their quarterback, and this guy can throw, and he's got really good receivers. So this team can move the football. It's going to be a challenge for the Michigan defense. And Indiana has a history of playing Michigan tough. I mean, last year, the game went to overtime. Michigan won 27-20. Two years ago, Michigan won by 10-20-10. And then three years ago, Michigan won a 48-41 thriller. So it's not like Indiana is one of those teams that rolls over. They're not. They're a good football team, and they've given Michigan trouble. As a matter of fact, last year, it was overtime. Michigan was able to win, but they were tied at the end of regulation. And let's go back to last year. In Bloomington, I'm on the call for the overtime touchdown. Here it is. Third down and goal from the three. Here's the snap at Ramsey. He tries to keep it up the middle, and he does not get to the line of scrimmage. So it'll be fourth and goal, and the ball will be outside the three-yard line. Folks, this is the game. Rolling left. As Ramsey looks to throw, throws to the back of the end zone. That ball is intercepted. Michigan wins the football game. Tyreek Cannell picks it off, and it is over. The Wolverines prevail over Indiana in overtime, 27-20. to Big, big play in overtime as Michigan gets the victory over Indiana. Uh, it was fun to be there, really fun. Uh, but Indiana can be tough. Uh, speaking of Indiana, he's, that's the subject of our trivia too deep this week. Indiana. I'm going to give you some Indiana names. Like, for instance, from the 2015 Indiana roster, the quarterback on that team for Indiana was Nate Sudfeld. But remember Xander Diamant? He was their backup. Jordan Howard was their running back. This guy is a load, 6'1", 230. He's now playing for the Bears. Jordan Howard and Divine Redding was his backup. Mike Majette was a true freshman on this team. He is now playing for the team that Michigan will play on Saturday. He is their backup running back there. Their wide receiver, a lot of you might remember him, Simi Cobbs, along with Mitchell Page and Ricky Jones. And up front, for Indiana in 2015 against the Wolverines, Jason Spriggs, Wes Martin, Jake Reed, Dan Feeney, and Demetric Kamel. Their tight end was Michael Cooper along with Anthony Corsaro. That was the Indiana Too Deep from 2015. That's our trivia Too Deep. If any of you Hoosier fans are out there, that should open things up for you and uh, remind you of some of the great names of the Hoosiers that played football for them in the past. Go back to the Big Ten this past week. How about Northwestern? Northwestern beats Iowa 14-10, and with that victory, and uh, Minnesota's win over Purdue, and Wisconsin losing to Penn State, uh, Northwestern wins the Western Division of the Big Ten. I mean, they are in the Big Ten title game, and I think that is unbelievable for Pat Fitzgerald. After having trouble early in the season, I think Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern might very well be the odds-on favorite to win Coach of the Year in the Big Ten as he gets his Northwestern Wildcats into the Big Ten Championship game in Indianapolis with a 14-10 win over Iowa. And in close games, Northwestern's almost unbeatable. I mean, they are unbelievable in tight games. Another one this past week beating Iowa 14-10. They're in Indianapolis. And that team that Michigan could play if the Wolverines beat Indiana and Ohio State. 
uh, and go to the Big Ten Championship game. And earlier this year, Northwestern in Evanston had a 17-0 lead on Michigan before Michigan came back to win it 20-17. Minnesota this past week beat Purdue 41-10. Figure that one out. Minnesota just 2-5 and five in the conference, couldn't beat anybody. Purdue, a team that beat Ohio State, that blew out Ohio State, gets beat by 31 points. Uh by Minnesota. And Penn State beats Wisconsin 22 to 10. Wisconsin, uh, without Alex Hornibrook, the quarterback, it's clear that they have trouble winning football games. They've still got Jonathan Taylor, the running back. But if you don't have a quarterback who can make plays, even Wisconsin with that great offensive line and that darn good defense couldn't handle Penn State. So Wisconsin now goes to six and four overall, four and three in the conference. Penn State uh, gets Trace McSorley back and does a good job. And games this week, hey, keep an eye on Michigan State at Nebraska. I, I think this is going to be a good game. The Cornhuskers beat Illinois 54-35 last week. Their offense and their quarterback, Adrian Martinez, is starting to really go. And the Spartans lost to Ohio State, and their offense is struggling, having some quarterback issues with um, Lombardi and, and Lewerke, and, and nobody's sure what's going to happen with that. So I think this Michigan State at Nebraska game is going to be pretty interesting in the Big Ten. Um, other games in the conference, I think it'll be interesting. Northwestern at Minnesota. Will the title that Northwestern already has in their back pocket keep them interested and, and play at Minnesota and, uh, help them win that game? That'll be interesting to see how Northwestern reacts to that game at Minnesota. Ohio State is at Maryland. That is their pre-game to Michigan's game down in uh, Columbus the following week. And Wisconsin is at Purdue. Interesting to see how Purdue plays following the fact that they got spanked by Minnesota, but they will be at home. And in Ross-Aid Stadium in West Lafayette, Purdue's a different team. And Wisconsin's coming off that loss to Penn State. See about whether the Wisconsin Badgers are back from the uh, depths, if you will, of losing some football games. All right, let's go to facts, legends, and lore. How about the M, the block M that's bronze in the middle of the central campus at the University of Michigan? That block M is called the Diag. It's the most iconic spot on campus, and it comes with the most widely known myth or legend, as it were. At the center of the Diag is a brass block M donated by the class of 1953. Now, the campus legend says that if you step on the Block M, you will fail your first Blue Book exam. That Blue Book exam is that first Blue Book thing, that first exam you may take at one of your classes. Well, the only way to reverse the curse is to run from the Block M to the Natural History Museum, kiss the two stone pumas near their entrance, and run back between the first and last stroke of midnight. All while naked. <laughs> it's an impossible feat because the bell tower no longer rings past 10 p.m., but that's the legend. So a lot of people, especially freshmen, that walk across Central Campus to the Diag do not step on the M because it might very well cost you your first Blue Book exam. That's facts, legends, and lore today. Now to our Recipe of the week. <laughs> Last week, Deardorff and I got into a discussion. I told him I was going to bring in the uh, Jiffy Corn Pudding recipe. And this is good to prepare ahead of time. You put it in the microwave, take it to the tailgate. It is the best corn pudding you've ever had. Here are your ingredients. Are you ready? A half a cup of butter, one egg, one cup sour cream, one eight and a half ounce box of Jiffy Cornbread mix, 
one 14-and-a-half-ounce can of creamed corn, and one 14-and-a-half-ounce can of whole kernel corn, sweet corn. Make it sweet corn and drain it. Make sure it's drained. Now, what you do is you melt the butter in a casserole dish. And don't melt it so that it's really hot because then you put an egg in there, and you don't want the egg to start cooking. So you take the egg and put it in this melted butter. Then you mix in the egg and all the remaining ingredients. And then you mix it all together with a sour cream. You mix it up so it's a nice, kind of almost a batter type thing. Then you put it in the oven for 350 for an hour. Then take it out, wait a little bit, serve it up. It is the best corn pudding you've ever had. So there you are, Deardorf, your corn pudding recipe. Thanks, everybody, for being uh, with us today on the Brandy Show. Special thanks to Art Volo, who provided us with the Indiana highlight from a year ago, the overtime victory over Indiana. Hey, don't forget to tune in Saturday for the Michigan game. The Michigan game, of course, is uh, with Indiana. It'll start at 4 o'clock. That means our pregame will start at 3. If you come across our Facebook page, Jim Brandstatter 76, we would love it if you liked it. And follow us on Twitter at Jim Brandstatter, at Jim Brandstatter. And don't forget, November 19th at Carl's Cabin at 6 p.m., we're going to have a live Facebook show. You can come out and watch me talk with John Jansen, Jerry Hanlon, Bob Thornblade, and Mike Martin, all University of Michigan greats. And we're going to preview Michigan-Ohio State that week with some people who know all about it, who have been in the trenches and have played in that rivalry. That's November 19th. Monday night at Carl's Cabin, 6 p.m. That's uh, in Ann Arbor, right near uh, Ann Arbor. On uh, It's actually Plymouth, but it's between Ann Arbor and uh, 275 and 14. You get off at Godfordson Road, it's right there off of 14 uh, between Ann Arbor and uh, 275. Carl's Cabin, uh, 6 p.m. Make sure you join us for that one. Um, tune in to Inside Michigan Football Sunday mornings at 1030 on Channel 7. We also air various times during the week on Fox Sports Detroit. Special thanks to Podcast Detroit for their technical help each week. And thanks to Zing Media Group's Kathleen Stevens, our producer. Keep us on your radar each and every week. Thanks for being with us. For The Brandy Show.